After 32 months, Restaurant Leadership Conference is returning to Arizona this December 6th through 9th. RLC has always been the home for senior restaurant execs to collaborate and discuss current challenges and solutions. Be a part of this exclusive group and register today at restaurantleadership.com. Want to grow your brand? Make sure you get your franchise relations right. Hello, this is Jonathan Mays, Editor-in-Chief of Restaurant Business. And in this week's episode of A Deeper Dive, I speak with Darren Harris, the CEO of the burger chain Jack in the Box, to talk about its potential for unit growth. Jack in the Box in recent years has had a strained relationship with its franchisees. Not coincidentally, the brand has not added many units for some time, even when it had strong sales. Unhappy franchisees, after all, do not want to add more units in the brand they're unhappy about. Harris focused on the franchise relations upon his arrival last year, and things seem to be on a much better footing. That has already translated into potential development. Jack in the Box signed seven new development agreements last quarter alone. Sales matter too, of course, and the chain's sales have been strong over the past several periods. Darren talks about all of this and much more on this week's episode. Please have a listen. Okay, I am here with Darren Harris. Darren, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Jonathan. So um, you have been uh, with Jack in the Box, what is it, about uh, 18 months, two years now, roughly thereabout? Uh, it's more like 15 months, but it uh, feels like uh, it's been about 18 to two years. Time has time has no meaning to me anymore. So <laughs> now uh, you you came from you came to the restaurant space from outside the industry, and I guess one of my first questions is what what's your what's been your impression um, having studied this uh, industry now for for the past uh, fifteen months uh, pretty intensely? What's your impression about sort of where the industry is at? Uh, you know, from what you experienced before. Yeah, I, I think you know this. I spent the majority of my career in restaurants. Um, I came back to the space after leaving Regis to 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 head up Jack in the Box. And what I would tell you is that you know what I fundamentally believe, and and this is such a people business, and culture is key. We get the right people in place and the right culture, then you know there's a lot of opportunity. And I think that still holds true today, especially you know, which I'm sure you'll ask me about, is in this environment where, you know. We need staffing and people. Culture will win, and and you know, as long as we're competitive with cash, and so mm -hmm. uh, that's what I I would say it still comes down to. And then it also comes to how are we going to innovate, and how are we going to think differently, and approach you know every day with a mindset of how do we continuously improve, uh, or or think about things through a different lens mm -hmm. uh, to kind of kind of reshape how we connect with guests. Yeah. So I need to ask that question maybe a little bit differently. What did you learn about the restaurant industry when you were at at Regis? When you spent some time over there, um, did you learn anything that you thought like, hey, this is something like the industry is behind on something. That's something yeah. to hear about a lot or or that. Sure. You see what I'm saying? One of the things that I think is uh, is an opportunity within the industry. And it's something that I've seen some of our competitors start to do. And I'll, I'll mention Paul Brown at Inspire is finding these centers of excellence. So one of the things we did uh, well at Regis is try to consolidate things that are non-value added activities at the restaurant level or at the unit level that we could consolidate corporately and innovate around that. So we take and make the jobs and the processes easier that we can consolidate at a corporate office. And when I go back to Inspire, a lot of what they've done with their digital marketing and their one-to-one -one marketing 
and plugging different brands into it is something that's a center of excellence that the industry could learn from and I think could do more of. Mm -hmm. So um, uh, understand that this week you just uh, announced that you got a bunch of uh, development agreements again, and you've been doing a lot on the the expansion front that this brand has not done much of at all in a long time. Talk a little bit about sort of the efforts that you're making to actually start opening new units. Yeah, you know, clearly with Jack in the Box it's had a long, strong history of consistent performance, but the area that was always an opportunity is how do we unlock growth? And um, so we were fortunate enough through some of the strategic moves that we've made to recently announce that we have awarded 23 franchise agreements for 111 new locations. These restaurants will be in a lot of our core markets in Arizona, California, Idaho, Texas, and Utah. Um, but it really started with, you know, beyond all the strategic components that we launched and, and different ways we've approached development, it had to start with getting the relationship right with our franchisees and our existing franchise base. So we spent a lot of the time really just investing in rebuilding and re-energizing the relationship with our franchisees, because we knew that was the starting point to unlock growth. If, if our existing franchisees will build and support where we're headed, then we know we can attract others because the brand has such good qualities from a standpoint of an economic model and brand history. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, um, uh, I mean, this, this brand has had, um, certainly when, when you arrived in recent years, it had a, you know, a really, you know, the, the franchise and or the, the Jack in the Box and the franchisees had really been pretty much at odds and had been one of the most contentious situations I'd covered in, in, in a little bit. Um, what were you able to do to try to get that, you know, I mean, how did you convince franchisees to, you know, to, to go along with you like that? You know, I, I think inherently we have such a passionate group of franchisees that have most of our franchisees started as operators within our corporate stores. Mm -hmm. And I think it's somewhere in the neighborhood of 80% of our franchisees were once corporate operators when we were a more majority corporate model versus franchise. And so they have this deep passion for the brand, a lot of history. And they care about it. And I think when they, they realize that their frustration of not being treated as a partner in strategy um, was kind of what would the impetus for, for the challenges. So our approach, and it started with my approach even before joining the company, is reaching out to the franchisees and say, look, we're going to have plenty of time to talk about the business and the challenges and the opportunities. But if we don't get the relationship right and really start to build a relationship and a foundation of trust, all the other things are, you know, secondary. So that's the biggest thing is we started investing in the relationship, listening, understanding the challenges and, and just working to, you know, try to develop a common ground. And we knew that the common ground would always be how do we get and keep more guests and treat them right? And so that's where the majority of our conversations are on. How do we have a relationship? And then also, how do we focus on treating our guests right? And from there, we, we've continued to evolve. And, and I would say probably the biggest challenge that they faced is not feeling like they had a place or a seat at the table. So we've opened up that, that spot for them to come in and, and weigh in on strategy. And, and, and the analogy of, I've used since I've been here is think of a, a four-man relay race. And you know, from the corporate model to, to even when we transitioned the culture to a franchise-owned model, we would, we would take the baton and say, you're the fourth person in the relay race, go finish, don't look back, don't ask questions, run as fast as you can and go. Versus, you know, we're gonna start the race together in a three-legged sack race. 
and we're going to fall a few times. We're going to get back up and we're going to keep going to try to win the race. And that's the difference in approach is letting them come into the conversation from the start versus waiting till the end. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's uh, the first time I think I've heard franchising um, uh, described in that manner. Uh, <laughs> or three like I've, I've heard it described in a lot of manners, but it makes sense. I mean, it's, you can't, I mean, like I've always, like in my experience, if you don't have happy franchisees, your brand is just, yeah. I mean, you're always going to have angry franchisees somewhere. Absolutely. Everybody's passionate, da, 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 da. And everybody's an individual, but like, look, if you're, if, if your franchisees are on board, um and 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 active and engaged and and doing things you're going to have a brand that that more off a lot more often than not is going to move forward it never makes sense to me when when brands fail to 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 get that relationship at least on a solid ground going forward yeah i mean it's like any of us is where are we most effective is when we have a relationship and have a connection with the people that we engage with versus a transactional nature and that's what we focus on is building that connection and that relationship and you know, having some meaning, meaningful dialogue, even if we disagree, if the relations right, we can, you know, we can say, hey, look, I don't like anything that you just said, and I disagree with you, but you know, the relationship's still solid, and you know, we can come back and figure out a way to work together, and that's what we, that's what we've invested our time doing. So, do you, um, do you see, like, if I, if I recall correctly, you're, you, you, you guys are focusing. Um, on your core markets, you think you've got a lot of development in in still uh, or a lot of development space in your core markets. Uh, but where do you see the, the this brand expanding to first? Yeah, so our first focus is to fortress, go into our existing markets and fully penetrate and build those out. And I mentioned where we've signed development agreements. We also have been uh, expanding with our existing base and um, soon to hopefully announce more development agreements in other areas like Houston and Phoenix and San Francisco and LA, where we have already a really strong base of stores, we'll continue to expand there. The real opportunity for us is still, you know, finish that development, but also unlock new markets. So we'll be going into Salt Lake City, Louisville. Those are two new markets that we've entered um, with both franchisees and and corporate development uh, together. So co-developing markets to really get penetration sooner than later. So those are two new markets that we're focused on. And then also we've done some unique things with, uh, you know, ghost kitchens. We're, we're testing some ghost kitchens in Houston and Nashville and uh, Chicago. That'll also be some, you know, a, a different way to approach development. Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts on ghost kitchens from, from Jack in the Box's standpoint? Why, uh, I mean, I get just bluntly, why, uh, why do you think that's something that Jack in the Box needs to, to look at? Uh, just just from the sheer amount of requests that we have from all over the country of, you know, why don't we have a Jack in the Box here? And, um, and so, you know, that brand awareness and that, that historic brand love, we know that people crave the brand. Now, how do we get it in their mouths? And it's a great opportunity for us to go into a market, say like Chicago and test the market and see what the response is before we start adding freestanding units and make the larger investment. It's also a great opportunity for us to fill in areas that aren't ready for, you know, in existing markets that may not be ready or have a gap in the market for where we can add units. And so I think it's a good just tool in the toolbox of development. Mm-hmm. And, and I've, I've said this many times, the other tools are rather than the one freestanding kind of um, flagship prototype that Jack in the Box always used for years, what we've done is said, time out, let's be where our customers want us to be and give them the great experience. And that could come from a 
non-traditional, a, a ghost kitchen all the way up to the flagship store, but it's got to be flexible based upon the environment that we're operating. So we have to have some areas that are drive-through only and some that um, are inline or in cap. All those are part of the way we've approached development that is different in the past. So let's find a way to meet our customers where our customers are and give them the best experience possible. Right. Right. The, the, uh, you know, my perception certainly on the real estate market at this point is that flexibility is super important. Um, and, you know, it's just, uh, uh, you know, the, the certainly for, for a fast food brand like yours, you're like yours, it's a little difficult. I mean, it, it, I mean, the, the real estate market is a lot more challenging than, you know, than a lot of than say, if you're a casual dining restaurant or something like that. And so it makes, seems to make that flexibility is super important, if, especially if you're, you know, planning to continue to develop a brand and expand your presence in Fortress Market. Absolutely. There's a lot of competition for a drive-through, uh, you know, a, a, a piece of real estate that can have a drive-through. So we have to be flexible. We have to be willing to look at the market differently and for different ways to expand. And so that's what we've done. We've, we've put together the best, what I think, um, you know, strategy to approach it. And so far, we're getting good response, not only from our existing franchisees, but new and also the real estate market um, and, and the desire for Jack to be in the market. So it's been it's been a positive so far. Mm-hmm. So my, it uh, it's my perception. If you could talk about this a little bit, it's my perception that Jack in the Box has a brand reputation far beyond its sort of uh, footprint. That um, it's more well known. Like it's 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 you know roughly a you know you know concentrated in the West and in and in Texas and, and in places like that. But it's a lot more well known than that. Or is that a is that a brand strength of yours, and will that help you, you know, as you continue to expand? Yeah, that was one of the reasons why I, um, you know, one of the four or five reasons why I thought Jack in the Box was a good opportunity for me to join the company because you have this historic seventy-year history of the brand with the iconic character of Jack that people know and recognize, and it travels, and and so because people know the character, we just had to bring it to life uh, with the food and the the brand positioning. So people are aware of it, but no question that the brand um, expands beyond those geographic borders of Texas and California and, and people who want to experience it. I think that also states to the historic strategy, I think in of our 21 markets, we're in 10 of those, we're either number one or number two in market share. So we have great awareness and penetration of those markets. And as people travel or move out of those you know 10 or so markets, they, they're, they're wanting Jack in the Box to come with them. And so we got to find a way to get it, get it to those other markets that people have uh, you know, trans transported to. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, nothing quite uh, generates uh, development interests or like sales. Jack in the Box has actually had a fairly nice run um, the past few quarters. Um, is uh, like, what do you think going forward? Where do you think? Where do you think Jack in the Box needs to do to, you know, to continue to 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 generate the kind of sales that it's been been able to generate and and um, you know. And then, of course, you know, generate the volumes that get franchisees even more interested in expansion. Our guests um, during the pandemic have been, you know, we've seen behavior changes, but we've also learned a lot about our guests through, you know, deeper segmentation dives and understanding how to communicate more effectively. But it's helped us increase same store sales 10.2% during the you know third quarter, our last quarter. That's what our, our uh, same store sales uh, looked like. 
But what I would say at the heart of it and has always been at the heart of Jack is, you know, finding a way to innovate. So whether that is innovation around digital, whether it's innovation around product or whether it's through process and technology, that's where we find the opportunity for Jack to really, you know, continue to grow top line and expand uh, you know, across the country. So during the pandemic, we didn't slow down our pipeline of innovation. We actually, you know, put the throttle down to try to really, you know, start to continue or not but to continue, you know, more aggressively our, our innovation platforms. And digital, for us, we were at the early stages of really digital when I joined. Um, we very rapidly went from, you know, a low digital number to, to you know, we're, we're aiming for 10% here soon of our overall sales. So we think we're at the early stages of what we can do from a digital standpoint. And having that, that iconic character in Jack in the Box, those two play well together as far as being interesting and um, relevant in the marketplace. Mm -hmm. So uh, talk a little bit about uh, some of the challenges uh, right now. Um, what, are, what, uh, what are your thoughts on labor? How is that affecting Jack in the Box and your franchisees? And is there anything you guys can to do to, do to help your operators uh, combat it? Yeah, I mean, as you know, staffing shortages and, and the labor market is an industry-wide challenge, um, probably unlike we've ever seen that I, I'm aware of in my my 20 plus years of working in the industry. And so what our focus has been on making Jack in the Box a great place to work. We got to focus on culture um, more than anything over cash. Now we have to be competitive with our cash, but culture is the key. And how do we, we create an environment that people want to come to and work at? And so that's where our focus has been. We also know that you know, we're testing different things like differential pay, you know, paying more at the late night shift to seeing how that impacts our ability to attract people um, and you know, giving, you know, scaling down the menu at a late night period versus having the full menu or, you know, so those are things that we've looked at. What I would say is probably different than what I've ever faced before is demand is not our issue right now. Um, it's really about can I staff to meet the demand? And so do you, over time, think about transitioning some of your marketing dollars, you know, to attract more people? That's one idea. Um, another is, you know, how do we continue to innovate around process and technology? And so we've created two or three new systems for how we, you know, go about operating our restaurants that take some of the labor components out of it um, that we rely on technology to, to do for us. I think everybody's chasing robotics right now um, and looking at ways to kind of eliminate some of the human challenge. In the restaurant so we're looking at a lot of things we invested heavily in our operation services team during the pandemic to look at nothing but ways to you know innovate uh, the way we deliver a more consistent product but also remove labor from our restaurants mm -hmm. what are your you you mentioned robotics what are your just general thoughts on on the potential there do you think that's yeah i you know i think if you asked uh, five different executives in the industry you're going to get five different answers on the potential yeah. robotics some will tell you it's coming right now some are going to tell you it's a ways off what are your thoughts on that Is i think it's within 18 months really? i think you know we're, we're already ready to test some ideas and so you know the question is is how far can we take it you know i, I think the tougher challenge is how do we take an existing box and implement robotics versus start from ground zero and have a fully robotic you know a restaurant. So I think it's closer than people realize. Um, manufacturing is already further along than we are. So the question becomes how much of this, you know, kind of, you know, benefit from robotics can we push up the supply chain versus use it at the unit level? 
the key that we can never get is continuing to provide hot and fresh food and a great, you know, you know, consumer um, experience through, through, you know, uh, hospitality. If we can find easier ways and faster ways to get our product out the door. Mm-hmm. And so I think robotics will continue to be a, a heavy topic of conversation that I think is closer than, than, you know, most people realize. Right. Do franchise or franchisees pushing for this? My perception is, my my definite. I mean, I know that the franchisees and a lot of brands would like a lot of this stuff yesterday. Yeah, franchisees just want you know some relief, right, from the battle of daily being out there trying to attract labor and keep labor. And and we know that's always been an industry challenge. But that that's the key is give us tools and give us different you know ways to offset that challenge. And so whether it's robotics, whether it's technology, whether it's just you know a simpler system. Um, help us is is their cry, and and that's what we want to do. We want to find ways to help, and they're more than willing to be our great test partner. So you know we take advantage of that throughout the the whole chain. Is how do we use them as test partners? And you know sometimes they have better ways than we do it. So we've we've engaged many of our franchisees, and you know hey you found something new and you want to try, let's let's let you go do it because we'll learn from it as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I bet you don't have any problems getting franchisees to test things like robotics. No, absolutely not. Right, right. So you also mentioned culture. That's always an interesting question to me because, you know, a lot of people talk about culture. What does that mean to you when you when you when you mention culture and ensuring that you have the right culture that people are going to want to continue to be to 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 work in? And, And how do you ensure you have a good workplace culture? Yeah, I mean, I think it's in the simplest form of definition, it's the way we work together, right? And so for us, it's about how do we create, you know, Jack has always known through all the research we did around our culture, has been known as this place that you know, it was a family. And it was hard to say, what does that family look like? What does that mean? And so we tried to peel back the layers to understand what exactly does it mean? What's different for you? And why do you call this a family? Fun was another component at Jack in the Box that everybody talked about that was inherent to the existing culture. What we've added is more of you know, and what we do daily in our restaurants, and if you look at our franchisees, and this came to life, is our best franchisees are servant leaders at heart. But that wasn't a part of our corporate culture translating down throughout this, you know, kind of challenge we have with franchisees. So we actually, you know, more of my own kind of footprint or thumbprint I wanted to put on the business is that same mindset around servanthood and take what our franchisees do, the best out there already incorporated into our culture. So We've tried to do that. We've, we've uh, rolled out new values to our brand. We've uh, recognized people around our values. We've cascaded that into the system, continue to communicate that um, in everything we do. So whether it starts from the first day you enter the door, a jack-in-the-box in a restaurant, we're going to train you about what does this brand stand for and what are our values. And we start there. And then we start to talk about the product and how we treat our guests. Mm-hmm. One of uh, uh, one of my concerns, I think, going forward, or the questions that I have going forward, is like the restaurant space, especially the quick service business, has has raised prices, obviously because of labor and, and food cost issues. So prices, I mean, pricing has gone up pretty aggressively, and average check is up pretty significantly. How long is is that sustainable? And what do you do as a as a as a brand to ensure that you don't price customers out of the market? Yeah, I mean, you know, look, I I can't receive enough data right now because the type of inflation we're experiencing again it's the first time i've experienced in my career as far as this level of inflation so there's this balance between history and knowledge and then also instinct 
And I think that that's where we're trying to do is we're trying to lead the franchisees with both data and kind of our best thinking from both our franchisees and our corporate team on what and where we have opportunities within our, our core menu to, to offset some of this challenge with, with uh, inflation. And, you know, I think it comes down to those three areas that we can, you know, work. And that's on, you know, inflation on wages. You know, what can we do there to offset that? Or, you know, um, so whether it's, you know, pricing differently at different day parts or, you know, shift differential in pay with wages. And then culture, as I mentioned, is key to, you know, having a great place that people want to work and enjoy to working. And then last is, you know, this pricing component that you talked about. And I think we're all going to have to make some instinctual thought um, moves related to price because we're going to have to offset some of the commodity increases that we're all feeling. So price has to be a component. Mm-hmm. Super. Um, Darren, this was fantastic. I really appreciate you joining uh, me this week on the podcast. Absolutely loved it. Great. Thank you, Jonathan. And that should do it for this week's episode of A Deeper Dive, which was produced and edited by Kimmy Kazmarek. Artwork by Nico Hines. You may find this and other episodes of the podcast on our website at www.restaurantbusinessonline.com backslash article backslash deeper dash dive. You may also subscribe on Apple Podcasts and Spotify or anywhere else you get your podcasts. I'm Jonathan Yermaze, your host and the editor-in-chief of Restaurant Business. Thank you for listening. Don't forget, Restaurant Leadership Conference goes to Arizona this December 6th through 9th. Claim your spot now at restaurantleadership.com. Space is filling up quickly.